Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to episode 101 of Drinks with Tony, or as we call it in Los Angeles, episode V101. This episode is sponsored by Coca-Cola, so when you buy a Coke, tell the cashier you're buying it because of Tony Duchesne. Coca-Cola, single-handedly creating diabetes to promote the treatment of diabetes for those who have it. Coca-Cola, because diabetes treatment is important, so we're here to serve you, the diabetic scientist at the forefront of creating a valuable future. Coca-Cola, because we care about diabetes. Coca-Cola was in no way affiliated with the promotion of Drinks with Tony. That was a parody advertisement created at the sole discretion of Tony Duchesne. And it really sucks that we have to say this is a parody advertisement, since a sense of humor and litigation do not go together. Thus, we sped up the legal mumbo-jumbo-jumbo to mumbo-mumbo-jumbo-mumbo-jumbo to get to the goddamn show. Hi, this is Joe Clifford, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Cool. Now, sound like you care. Hi, this is Joe Clifford, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Joe Clifford. He's the author of The Lake House. Came out September 1st. Joe, how are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, uh, Tony, how are you? Good. Did that throw you off since we're recording when I said it came out <laughs> September 1st? Yeah, a little bit. And also just your, your, you know, the tone changes from like, hey, motherfucker, what's up? To like, now I'm in professional talking mode and we're going to... Uh, be, be professional that's good i know it's I, I try to start it professional and then we could just sink low down from there that's 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 how we go good good yeah, yeah. Good, good. I, you know it, it, it did sound a little npr for a second is that what you're saying <laughs> you're listening to argyle cohen have you seen that thing going around where you like you take the color like your fabric and your favorite singer songwriter and that's your npr name oh so, really yes so what would be your npr name right now uh Jesus. Uh, I guess it would have to be uh, Kashmir Fallon. And Fallon and Kashmir. Who doesn't love Kashmir? And then what, what's the, how does this happen again? So I can figure you gotta out take, my... You got to take, like, it's like your, your favorite fabric and your favorite uh, uh, singer-songwriter. Last name. So Kashmir oh, okay. Fallon. Huh, so uh, like Cotton Cave. I mean, I... It, yeah. 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 All right. It really does work. <laughs> It does work, actually. Hi, this is Cotton Cave, and we're here with Joe Clifford. Joe Clifford, he's a he's an interesting fella from New England. Um, I always think of sweaty balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're uh, in in your new book. Uh, it takes place. You know, I had to look up the city of Covenant, Connecticut, and thanks for lying to me. Yeah, it doesn't exist. It does not exist. It's actually a Coventry, and it's uh, based on my hometown of Berlin. Uh, and, and you can get away with things by um, all the towns. I always, I, almost all the towns are made up in my town names. Uh, I'm very proud of my town names, but they're not the most, um, uh, you know, there's not a lot of mystery going on there. The overture is pretty clear. Like, I mean, I got a town called Ashton. I got a town called Dormant. I got a town called Covenant. It's like, it's like here, give me a hammer. I'm going to bash you over the head with exactly uh, what I'm trying to say here. But yeah, it's a very religious, uh, there's a lot of religious overtures in that. And uh, you grew up in that town that you wrote about? Is well, I grew up in Berlin, and uh, that's what Covenant is based on, Berlin. I mean, okay. Geographically, it's based on, I should clarify, geographically, it's based on Coventry. Uh-huh. Although I changed the geography to suit my purposes by putting that huge lake in the middle of town. Um, but it's based, you know, basically on Berlin. All, most of all the, all the characters, Dwayne Sobzak I went to high school with, uh, Diana Del Martino is a character I went to high school with her. 
Um, Lisa Blake, uh, who I was madly in love with, I, of course I put her in a book because, you know, 40 years later, I, I want to make it clear that I, you know, I won. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, we, uh, yeah, you know, we revisit our, our pasts and, um, uh, you know, we draw on them and then that's, and that's how what we do as writers. So, yeah, so it's, 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 it's real in, in a sense, uh, you know, I think you need a, you need a place, you need to know where you are. You, I, I think a writer really has to have in their mind, and I think it comes across if they don't, a place. I think if you write and you kind of have this generic description of streets and trees and houses and you're not clear on the layout, it somehow it, it, it comes across to the reader and they get a sense of displacement. So I like to have real places and almost all my books, no matter what I call them, Ashton, Dormant, uh, Covenant, uh, they're all Berlin, Connecticut. What's, what's interesting, I like that you say that because if we're not, even if, if setting, if we're not honest with our setting, will lose our reader because they'll, they'll sense a little bit of dishonesty and then, and then it'll translate to the characters and everything else. It's, it no, it, it, it's something that uh, I learned in grad school from Lynn Barrett, who's the smartest person I've ever met. A uh, wonderful writer, amazing teacher, a terrific human being. And, uh, and she, I remember that her telling me that and, uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, everything I say pretty much is just I'm parroting what Ben Barrett has one, one time told me. But, uh, yeah, no, that one's true. And, 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 and you get a sense that, like, when you write a scene and you're not sure where the lefts are and you're going, like, ah, who really cares, right? I'm going to have my character drive down the street, take a couple lefts, take a right, and end up at the sharp shopping plaza. But if you don't have a clear picture in your mind of how that road works and the timing and, and what it takes to, you know, what, what your, your protagonist or character is looking at as they're, uh, navigating these streets, it, yeah, it comes across. It, 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 with writing, you have to know everything, uh, or it comes across. Yeah, and then, and even the so much of it, like that, you you have to. Like, I'm always I'm always drilling this into my students, where you have to know everything else that's kind of going on in that person's life before they can say a line of dialogue, and then kind of distill it. So there is a point of view with the dialogue, but. Um, that you, you know more about it and then your audience can also fill in the blanks a lot more. Yeah. And that's why I, mean, I tend to overwrite. I don't know if you're, you know, when you go back and you do the editing, I tend to cut. Uh, I know some people go back and they do the editing and they tend to add, but I tend to, you know, my first drafts are longer, more bloated and I can write six or seven pages. And, and in the end that scene may come down to, to two sentences. Uh, but all that other work kind of goes into it, even though you're not reading it because it's supposed to get you those two sentences. It's, uh, it's behind the scene craft that um, fascinates you guys like you and, and me and maybe everybody else is like, it gives a shit, just you know, make me, make me excited, give me an explosion, have the fucking something happens, I turn the page. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it goes in, it goes into it and you got to keep it, uh, you got to be honest and authentic and readers sniff out that stuff. And with so many other books out there, you can't lose a reader because you were lazy. Yeah. Now back to your high school friends. Do they know that they are in your books and have you been uh, like, and the loves of your life that you've thrown in there? Do have you been in contact? All my loves of my life, right? They they all make it into the book. Uh, In fact, I'm working on a book right now. It's it's a true crime story about the uh, tragic death of two um, hometown twins, Ann and Allison Allison Hodgson, um, who, uh, uh, you know, were were abducted in 1985 from my hometown. Um, and, and I go back and, and solve that crime. Of course, that never actually happened. Uh, there was no crime. The twins never went missing. Uh, and I just simply love this idea of a true crime story about a crime that didn't really happen. So you're treating everything else like the true crime story. But uh, writing about it, I'm often writing about, you know, Anne and, and all, those, all that stuff, because she was my first real 
real crush at, at 12. So all these years later, yeah, she's in a book now and I'm solving her disappearance, even though she never really disappeared. And, uh, and, but, uh, but, but have you been in touch with her? Does she know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. And what, and what's her, what's her reaction to it? She sends me little kissy faces on emojis on Facebook messenger. And it's fucking delightful. Man. All these years <laughs> later, it still feeds that same thing. I don't care how old you get. When yeah. your when your twelve year old crush sends you a, a smiley face, uh, you know, heart kissy emoji, like you're just that twelve year old boy again. It's it's crazy. It's there's something so beautiful about it. It's just yeah, I am those first loves. You don't even it, everything is so huge when you're that young and you're in love, and and you have this you know the perception of love, and even though it could never work out now, say you know decades later, but you still get that old feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm a happily married man with two kids, and my wife Justine's amazing, and and, yeah. and it's totally separate from that. It's this weird, like, uh, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, maybe you know, because it is so new, and your heart is so fresh and so whole, right? There's nothing; it hasn't been stabbed and kicked and beaten, knocked around like a fucking soccer ball, and left in a gutter and filled with fucking bad alcohol or you know memories, and it's this, just this beautiful, precious thing. And when you're when you're young, right? You're just like, oh hi, you're really pretty, and you make this yeah. thing beat, and here's my heart. Please don't break it. And of course, you know they step on it, take a shit on it, kick it around, you know, <laughs> sell it for drugs, and then you know you got we got at our age, which is you know it's a heart, but man, it's you know it's not, not a pretty picture. It's kind of like the the lung and the after lung. You know, you get that lung <laughs> like the, the smoking lung, like the pre, here's the pre-smoking lung, right? It's yeah. Pink, you know, just like oh my god, you want to squeeze it and hold it, and hug it. You don't have to have you fucking fuck it up with cigarettes. It's just this black charred over, just like little knot of like fucking cancer riddled fucking nugget, and uh, and that's kind of what the heart is, right? <laughs> the longer you go, you just get more and more and more abused, and uh, it, you can't love the same way as you could in those early days. And uh, you look back, and it was kind of silly and goofy, but yeah, you know, in a weird way, it's the sort of the biggest love you'll ever have, right? Cat Stevens, the first cut is the deepest. So it's interesting, yeah, it, and then, but then I think about like, like I, I think, I think the love feels like when I'm in love now, I feel it's deeper. It's so much like deeper and layered because sure. of because of the experience. And there's just there's a beauty to those days when there was zero experience, and it's just like love, Bing. <laughs> right, right. And you, what you bring into it now, you're like, holy shit, love actually requires that I do something. Like love now means I have to think of ways. You know things my wife wants and how to make her happy and make sacrifices and be a better person and and uh you know back then it's just this really romantic idea of like oh i saw you and you saw me and we're 12 and you know yeah. uh and it's sweet i mean it's, it's innocent and it brings you back to a different time it brings you back to um you know an era when when things were more innocent and so writing a book about you know that that love but also like imagine this tragedy that would have changed a town and so everything is just kind of like this is when innocence ended uh and and yeah it's, it's just fun to these are things you can do um you know with fiction i, I got the idea i was reading jess laurie's uh, unspeakable things and she wrote uh, an introduction uh basically this is a true story i realized i misread that that it wasn't a true story and i was like fuck and that's a brilliant idea to like write i mean Maybe it's not brilliant. Maybe it fucking never gets published. Maybe my fucking agent tells me it sucks. But uh, just to write like a true crime story about a crime that never happened, but treat it like true crime. You know, treat it like Capote and fucking uh, in cold uh, in cold blood and, and, and do it like that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it's been fun to write. It's been fun to revisit that. But yeah, my friends, to answer your original question, my friends who I was never really, um, I was not the most popular guy, shocking. 
spoiler alert, um, <laughs> back in, in, in those days. But yeah, through Facebook and um, social media, I've reconnected with these people and, and everyone's awesome. All the people in high school, they're awesome. Except Sefer Savinley, who's a fucking prick. But everybody else is really fucking sweet. And, uh, and you know, I get to talk to Jim and, and Ron and, and Dwayne and all these guys. And it's, uh, it's, been, it's great, you know, because yeah. yeah, high school wasn't, was not, high school was by far, was far from the best years of my life. Uh, I, I don't know anybody who's interesting who will tell you high school is the best years of their life. And, and the ones that tell you that high school is the best years of their life, we get, we're never friends with those people. because Yeah, and they're just, yeah, they weren't interesting then and they're not interesting now. Yeah. They're, they're real estate agents, and they're going, remember that time in Cabo? And you're just going, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the fuck they, I don't know, you know, it's Bob Dylan. I don't know what they're doing with their lives. I, I have no fucking idea how they got here. Uh, <laughs> but, but the ones I did reconnect with, um, it's been a blast. And yeah, putting people in books, they get a real kick out of it. And, and, and honestly, uh, it's, a, it's a very cheap marketing ploy, but <laughs> writers out there, if you want to get people to buy your book, I can put their name in there. Because you put somebody's fucking name in a book, they buy the book. Their wife buys a book, their family buys a book, they tell their friends about the book, they put, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's just your guaranteed sales. So I realized that early on that using real names um, is a surefire way to, you know, and as a writer, 10 sales is a big deal. So if you can guarantee 10 sales, do it. Uh, yeah. That, that's why my pseudonym is Joe Clifford in all of our work. <laughs> Why, why is somebody named Stephen King? Like, what if a dude was named Stephen King? Like, his real name is Stephen King. Like, is like, why wouldn't he just be a writer automatically? Because, yeah. like, can he use his own fucking name on a book and have yeah. just people buy his book by mistake? Yeah, they can get shitty reviews. And it's probably a lousy book. But if my, my name is fucking Tom Clancy. I'd be writing fucking books. I I'd sell. I'd self-publish them, and everyone would make the mistake exactly. of buying them. Yeah, make the mistake of buying them. You get the money. Yeah, first edition <laughs> signed. Yeah, first. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is this shit? My my my, uh, my erotic my uh, sword wielding erotic uh, fella, littered with typos and being the use of semicolons. This Stephen King sucks. This is a hundred page run on sentence. There's no, there's no, there's no ghosts in here. Well, guys. Pet dragon, bearded dragon. It's terrible. Why does he keep fucking his dragon in a corner of a room? <laughs> this makes no sense. Hey, what's wrong with dead moose fucking? Oh my god, Stephen King would be the wrong end of a hashtag, and no one and and no one to research it either. They would just go, oh, yeah. Just talking about the idiots, but think about how many idiots we have in this fucking country. We got sixty million of them that voted for fucking Trump. There's yeah. got to be out there. I mean, granted, those people aren't ones who read, but you figure there's got to be an overlap of idiots who are not going to check and just buy the book because it says Stephen King or it says, you know, J.K. Rowling. I mean, that'd be a harder name to pull off, but, you know, my name was Joe King Rowling. Fuck yeah, I'm writing yeah, it. Yeah. Damn, book. I, I wish someone would use Tony Duchesne. <laughs> could, someone, could someone take my name and just kind of carry the legacy? <laughs> Um, how how old is Holden now? How old is he? Holden's nine, the big nine. So he so five. he's gonna he's coming up on his first love pretty soon. He's already got a girlfriend. A girlfriend. Really? Yeah, he had a girlfriend in school last night. I don't think I'm supposed to talk about, it, but yeah, he had a girlfriend in school. They I took him on their first date. They went bowling. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah. Well, did, I mean, did you cool. see the look in his eyes where you're going, "Oh man, that's it. That's what I have." I mean, everybody wants what's better for their kids. It's also the presents. I don't think I had my first date until I was fucking sixteen, and he's like eight. 
going on a date. Like, yeah. Like, what the fuck, dude? Like, it's cool, but like, you know, Anna's never went out with me. Just spoiler alert. In case I'm just wondering. She, she said no emphatically. She said no emphatically. Oh, for to you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had to date in the backseat of a car during while preaching the Bible to people. Oh, so. well, yeah, you had it tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my dating was just rubbing my leg just slightly against uh, against I, Michelle as we were in the back of a car. <laughs> First time I masturbated, I cried. I, I grew up evangelical Christian, too. I know what it's like. <laughs> oh, you don't cry after every time you masturbate? That's... <laughs> well, now it's just... <laughs> That's a fucking cult. I was thinking about that the other day, man. Like, it really, like, you grew up, like, you grew up, like, like it's a kind of a, it's not kind of, it's kind of, it's a cult. And that's not, it is a cult, yeah. Not, that's what's so, because I know, like, family and parents, are, like, and, and I have good friends, and, like, I still identify as a Christian, but, like, when I think about the shit we grew up with as evangelicals and what you grew up with, it's a fucking cult. It's a straight yeah. up cult. That's how, that's how they're still voting for fucking Trump, and they're still doing, it's a fucking cult. It's, they live in a weird, weird world, and, uh, it's 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 hard to break that cycle of, of thinking, and, and not that they're all Christians. Not, I'm not saying that. Obviously, there's wonderful Christians, there's wonderful Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, I get that. What I'm saying is, your specific situation, my specific situation, I really feel like it's a little cultish. Well, there there aren't wonderful Jehovah's Witnesses because they want everyone to die any minute. And I was saying to placate people who might be angry out there. <laughs> oh no, no, it's I don't play, I don't placate. Right. But I don't know. I just think it's, it's a weird fucking thing. Like, I mean, I dated a girl once who really did grow up in a cult. Grew up in a cult. Uh, uh, I don't know, I don't care. Brother Julius, who was a cult in Connecticut, Central Connecticut, it was like uh, century. It had something to do with the real estate. I don't know. It was a big fucking cult. You can look at that. Brother Julius said he was. Said he was second coming of Jesus, and he picked Berlin, Connecticut, because it was the exact geographical center of Connecticut, which just seems like such a weird fucking place to build your your foundation and your flock. Like, why not the middle of like Texas, in the middle of California, in the middle of Connecticut? But yeah, um, and and what I think what she went through, and and what I, it's not that different, man. It's not like uh, all that, you know. Like you're you know living a godless world, and you're going to hell, and all that. You know, you can't listen to fucking. Pink Floyd or, you know, Black Sabbath. Why? Well, because Denise Black in the second part of that Sabbath. Like, I guess. All right. They rock. I fucking, I always denied Black Sabbath and they fucking rock. Yeah. It's, um, did you say Burlington? Is that where the Burlington coat? Oh, Berlin. Berlin, Connecticut. Like, 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 uh, like Germany. Spelled like Germany, but you don't say like Germany. People get very upset, even though many in the town are probably a little bit on the, the, the white sort of, uh, power side. Um, Oh, is there kind of a white power thing? Connecticut's a weird, uh, you know, it's a blue state, right? Um, But you get a lot of, uh, you get a lot of these people who think they're rednecks. So like they, you know, really love their country music and Confederate flags and their trucks. And they, they pride themselves on being rednecks. Although there's nothing redneck about that Central Connecticut. But yeah, there's a strange, in fact, yeah, there's a, it's a weird. It's just a weird thing. But yeah, they're they're playing people. I mean, of course, these days I'm I'm equating anybody who still supports Trump with right white supremacy, and and, and and I'm becoming less and less willing to go off that um, as time goes on because he's he's proven to be a, a fucking unmitigated racist. And uh, at this point, if you're still supporting him, I I really don't know how you are not. Uh, oh crap! We just lost a listener. <laughs> <laughs> You try me to try hard. I mean, there are a few people I know who like, you know, and I try not to offend. But at this point, like, uh, it's yeah, I I agree. 
It's a fucking shit show. And if you're still fucking on board with this guy, you're a fucking shit show. And maybe there's an exception and you can plead your case and we'll, we'll take your case, you know, you know, one by one. But holy fuck. You know what's interesting? Because like when I grew up with Joe's Witness, we couldn't vote. So everything had to be like politically neutral. But one of my girlfriends was a... Um, she was in the Church of the Nazarene, which is also evangelical and kind of cult-like. And they voted, and they had to vote Republican no matter what because of pro-life. And she, even when she left, she still voted Republican for a while because it was deep-seated in her that she has to vote Republican just because the Democrats were Satan. And it's so weird that the, that the world's twisted like that, where. No, man, it's, 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 I, I didn't vote a Democrat until I was in my mid twenties. I mean, it, it is so, it is so deeply ingrained and pushed into you. And, uh, and I try, you know, I try to think about why so many of these evangelicals, and a lot of these people are my friends, if they're listening, you know, sorry, but um, you know, and, and the best I can come up with is, is just that as an evangelical, and, and a right wing and super, you know, that side, you just talk to hate liberals so much. So like, I don't, I want to believe that like, they don't even, like they recognize Trump's a fucking idiot and they recognize he's racist and all this stuff. But as a person of that persuasion, um, liberals are just perceived as, as, you know, being, you know, hell bent on destroying family values and they want to see the erosion of the family. Of course, you have the pro-life thing. That's a nice one. And they're so anti-God and uh, you're just taught to hate, 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 hate liberals. Liberals are communists, and, and it's just, it's like just stamped on you. And so, yeah, you have no choice. You got to vote Republican. If you don't like the Republican candidate, at least not Democrat. Um, so, yeah. Oh, well. Maybe we could just blow up the whole system and just have independent and Green Party. I wanted Bernie, man. Don't blame me. I wanted Bernie. I, like I wanted that. Bernie in 2016. I, that would have, that uh, I think we, I don't even think we'd have a pandemic now. It would be a paradise right now. Oh, no, in a pandemic, we'd have fucking free pizza. And people be hanging out and having fun. Yeah. And like, <laughs> all, all, all STDs would go away. I'm not going to believe it the point, but I will just say this, that after we elected Trump, like, we got every one of the fucking plagues. And, like, you know, you got, and like, fucking, this shit's on fire. It's, it's, it couldn't be any more a condemnation. Uh, so, someone's saying, like, holy shit, you made a bad decision. That was a bad call. And here's fucking, here's the locusts and the fucking fires and, like, the blood over the door. Like, the whole shit show. Uh, so yeah, we had the killer bees. Didn't we have killer bees for a we, while? We had fucking murder hornets. Murder, murder hornets. Murder hornets. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Australia was on fire. There's a whole. It was a, the whole thing's fucking nuts. I mean, what's next? What is next? <laughs> Hopefully, he's gone. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the birds will start to sing. They'll all come out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's that? Park's gonna be fucking forgiving the fucking jackasses who elected him in the first place. And I, I, I try to think about it, but. I mean, I don't know if I can get over it, man. Yeah. I, I yeah, I don't know. Anyway. So, I'll leave my house. Sorry. No, no. It's, it's, we, we veer. That's what we do. Um, you, you shave, you, so you, you accidentally shaved your son's head. Poor kid. So you had to shave your head. Is that correct? Because your hair is growing out. Yeah. yeah. So I love Jackson with a buzz cut. And he's always had a buzz When he was little, I'd give him a buzz cut because he's a little kid. They don't fucking, they can't do anything. They're two. So you give him a buzz cut. He looks so fucking, he's got this perfectly shaped little head. So, you know, it's quarantine. We can't get to the, the, the hairdresser. So we, uh, uh, you know, my wife gives him a haircut. And, you know, Justine has many skills. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say haircutting is not among them. It's probably not going to make her top, top 50 skills. And so it was a little patchy working. Um, and I'm like, I'll fix it. And I'm like, this is my chance, right? Like, cause the haircut's already kind of, he already looked like a 
you know, a fucking rug that's been trampled on. I'm just going to go in there and shave it. And I shaved him. You know, just a, a series of events went wrong. It was, it was horrible. Like, you know, so we're here at night, you know, like, you know, and it, you know, it was just bad. The, the fucking clippers ran out in the middle of the haircut. So as Jax is holding him, my wife were watching me give the haircut. Jax now is half a head, half a head shaved. And they start laughing because it's funny. It's like, oh, of all the times for the clippers to run out. They thought, he thought they were laughing at him, so he runs to the bathroom. He's crying. He made me bald. He made me ugly. He was so upset. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, listen, all right, dude, I will, uh, I will shave my head in solidarity. I'm so, so sorry. Uh, he's forgiven me. I think he's forgiven me. Um, and so, yeah, I shaved my head, and we were, we were little twins, um, you know, bald twins. My wife, Pomeranian, and barking in the background. Never shut oh, up. cool. No, it, this all stays in. Uh, that's how it goes. Hey, hold it. Come here. Oh, get him to do the Rocky thing. Yeah. Oh, so close. Thing. All right, ready? Hey, Holden. And this is this is Holden Clifford. Now, but go slow. You have to you have to start slow. All right. That boasting, you know, I do the Rocky thing. Let me tell you something you already know. It's a very mean and nasty place, and we'll beat you to your knees. But yeah, you, know, you got it. You got it. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. So, go slower and louder. Okay. Okay. Listen, Mike. Here we go. Ready? Okay. Have a seat. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and it will beat you to your knees if you wear it. Me and you, nobody's going to have a slice of life. But it doesn't matter how hard you that hit. That goddamn dog. <laughs> how, how hard you can get it and keep it in How much you can take and keep it in That's how winning is So if you know what you want, go and get what you want. But you got to be willing to take the hit. And you can't be... <laughs> oh, I have to go. I was doing an interview on the radio live. Oh. Yeah. Can you choke the fucking dog and stick it in the dog? Cut out the dog. Choke the dog. Don't let anybody hear me say choke the dog. But fucking put that dog smile. She doesn't shut up. Fucking 24 hours like that. She never really? Up. She never shuts up. The dog never fucking shuts up. And she's adorable. She's this little black Pomeranian. She's so fucking cute. And you see her, you're just like, oh my God, like a little angel dog. But she clearly had some kind of weird thing. And she's a rescue. All our dogs are rescues. And this one just, man, she is uh, just a fuck. And I realized now, we went to pick the dog up, right? When we get the dog, and we asked the name, and they were like, the dog's name? Oh, her name's Psyche. And I was like, oh, it's kind of a, you know, I guess big fans of the Greeks or something. I don't know. So, uh, but then after a few weeks, I'm like, it wasn't Psyche, it was Psycho. It was Psycho. And they said that to us. Because, like, people that come to look at the dog, we can't, to come look at a Psycho, we can't tell them the dog's name is Psycho. But the dog won't respond if we call it something else. So why don't we, we'll, we'll, we'll call it Psyche. And the dog will kind of maybe answer. Oh, yeah, what a fucking, she's just a fucking nightmare. Nightmare. Still fucking shits in the house every day. Every day shits in the house. Wow, every really? Day. Yeah, every day. That, every day. That's not a nightmare. That's insulting you and your family. That, to, at that point, yeah. that's a dog going, you know what? I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Thanks for the food. I don't yeah. appreciate it. Clean this up. Yep. 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 And, uh, and, uh. Well, your dog ruined all of, your dog ruined Holden's, Huge. It was the whole fucking thing. Dog ruined the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Much yeah. like ruins most of my days. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, you know, I love animals. Like my other yeah. dog, Lucky. Yeah. It's a fucking great dog. Yeah. Lucky, a fucking great dog. Yeah. Probably, one of the, probably one of the best dogs to ever live. I, I don't yeah. know all the dogs who live, but I, I would say he's probably the top three dogs to ever live. He's fucking awesome. Lucky, if, if, lucky, if it's raining outside, or you forget to walk him for like a day or two days, like, like don't worry, I'll hold him. No problem. Just a great, great dog. 
uh, I would look at him, we were looking at the clone dog. That's how good he was. And he's still here. He's getting old. Southern so dog. Don't fuck. Well, I mean, uh, how bad would it be to let somebody else rescue Psycho? To give them like, the opportunity. I think it would be really nice if I were to drive, say, up to like, uh, oh, here he is. He's back. All right, because you're going to have to cut all that anyway. All right. All right, ready? Okay, now, but go slow and loud. All right. Hey, Jack, what's up? This is Jack. Hi, Jack. Okay, there's Jack. All right. We're, we're, getting, the whole, we're getting the whole Clifford boys here. All right. Jack, we're on the radio. We're on the radio. Which one? Well, we're, up, we're on the radio, Jack. This is, this is our package. Random. This is Tony. Are you opening your packages as we're on the radio? That, that's what What's you're doing. This is great. I love you, buddy. It's not even <laughs> I'm going to charge you for babysitting in a second. <laughs> All right. We're, we're, we're talking Rocky here because okay. Rocky means everything to Joe. And also, um, now, what, now, now, now to set it up for us, what is this speech from? This is from Rocky Balboa, uh, the sixth movie in the Rocky franchise. On Harold and Jeff, fucking fantastic movie. Oh, and this one, Rocky's older and he needs to go back in the ring. His, his wife's gone, he's, he's broken down, uh, and he's, he doesn't really get along with his son. And his son's very upset that he wants to fight again. So uh, this is when Rocky uh, talked to him outside his restaurant. All right. And now, and now Holden, when you, when you do the speech, do it slow, okay? It's a lot slower. Here we go. Joe, Joe and Holden, All right. for your pleasure. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and it will beat you to your knees permanently if you let it. Me, you, nobody's going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward. So if you know what you're worth, go ahead and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits. And you can't be pointing fingers saying you ain't wanna be because of him or her or anybody. How would you do that? And that ain't you. You're better than that. Yes! Yes! yes. yes. Right. Lord, that was good. Yeah, he's good. good. <laughs> Alright, um, now get out of here. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very important life lesson, man. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's like 90 fucking degrees now. It's gonna, we have a heat wave coming, man. Yeah, I know. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's why yeah, I don't live in San Francisco life. anymore. And even as much as I joke about it, uh, I can't think of a better speech to uh, instill in my children to understand that uh, this life is just going to kick the shit out of you. And the only power you have, the only only say you have, so much of this is outside of your, you know, you don't have the agency over this or that, but the one thing you can do is get back up. Yeah. Get back up. Because the world's going to keep hitting you. And, yeah. uh, and they don't care if you stay down. Because they're going to start hitting somebody else. And all you can control is how much you take and how you get back up and how you keep moving forward. And and I really think that's just I – mean, Sylvester Stallone is an amazing writer. <laughs> he really is. I mean, he's turned kind of like a punchline because he's had some really terrible movies. You know, it's, you know, Stop My Mom Will Shoot or whatever the fuck he was doing in the 80s. But uh, Rocky uh, is, is a character. I mean, beyond just being iconic, I mean, some of the lines in there are just you know, fucking gutting. And, uh, of course, the story how he sold the – so the movie is just uh, an inspirational story to any writer out there who's who's struggling to make it. I mean, the guy was living. The guy had to sell his dog, man. He had, had to sell his dog. He was so poor, and they kept coming back to him and like, "Yeah, we'll we'll buy your script for Rocky, but you can't star in it. We're gonna want fucking Burt Reynolds. We want fucking Ryan O'Neill. And Sylvester Stallone, who now has to sell his dog, they start out. I think offering him like thirty thousand. 
fucking, this is 1976. He's fucking broke as shit. Yeah. Right? 30,000 then is probably 300 now. Yeah. And you're right. They keep coming there. They got up to 300. $300,000. Man sells his dog. Lives in a shit apartment. Like he's got nothing. He's like, no, I, I'll, I'll, I've got to start. I've got to be, and you can't have anybody else be Rocky besides Stallone. You can't, you can't have fucking, that, that movie doesn't work with fucking Ryan O'Neill. No. You, know, you, need, you need fucking Stallone. He, he is Rocky. So yeah, I mean, to have that kind of integrity to hold on uh, to your ideals and like be like, yeah, nope, no. Um, and isn't it great that there's people with that integrity out there? Because if there wasn't, he would have bought, he would have been able to buy his houses, still put his kids through college and yeah. not star in it. And we would just have a crappy Rocky one. Yeah, and yeah. it wouldn't be called Rocky one. It would just be yeah. called Rocky because there would be no Rocky two. Because Burt Reynolds just chewed gum through the whole thing, and never, right. it never, uh, it never landed, it never went on. It was fucking mustache. Uh, and uh, and I'd like to say that I have that integrity, but I don't. I would, I would, I would have fucking sold it for the thirty thousand. There's no oh, fucking yeah. way. I, I, I would have sold it for three hundred. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that thirty thousand was the first offer. It's pretty much the first <laughs> offer they come to me with. Yeah, I'm fucking taking. It. But three hundred and fifty dollars. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. That'll 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 get me. Yeah. It's. I mean. It was his pa- It was his passion thing. I got a little, you know. I I don't want to say I got integrity like that, but with Jesus Jerk for the film, I didn't make a penny, and that was all just that was all to keep Eric Stoltz and everything together. And I don't I don't think it would have happened if I would have really demanded money on that to get what we wanted out of it. And people think I made a lot of money on it, and I'm sitting on it like, oh, you have no idea. I spent all my money going on set. I, I was I was uh, I was buying dinners for the set photographer, so he would stay on set the next day. Yeah, no, I mean the first my first I mean I, my first book, Junkie Love. I had much more of that. Um, there were things I wasn't willing to do or change. That it meant, you know, after you do it a while, I think you just sort of get uh, used to the sense that it's so it's so collaborative and it's such a um, you don't really have a say, uh, and, and you just I, I think you. Part of it's that. Part of it you just get tired. You're like fucking whatever. You want to fucking fifty dollars? Take it. But ju- yeah, but at the same time, Junkie Love was your personal story. Yeah, and just yeah. like Jesus Jerk was my personal story. The next ones, take them. I'll take the money. Go, yeah. go get. Um, you know. Oh, oh yeah. It's you know. It should be. Um, you know. It should be Brad Pitt playing a fifteen year old. That's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Well, that's like, always like, that's like, who do you want to play Jay Porter? I don't give a shit. And maybe you play Jay Porter. Who do you want to play Jay Porter? Give me the fucking money and then you fucking, you know, get your actors and you do it. Well, uh, you got it. But you, you do have a cast a little bit in your mind, don't you, when you think about it? I, I you know, yeah, there's, there's a few people. I always picture him kind of as a blonde guy. So uh, this, this kid I know, Max Theriot, who's, uh, who's in the, uh, who's in the um, uh, psycho TV show with, uh, Verma, whatever her name is. Um, uh, I think he'd make a great Jay Porter. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, but uh, it won't be up to me. And, uh, no and are those an option? Or are they in development? Or what's no, the... no, we got, we got, we got one. We got some people looking at one book that hasn't come out yet. And then I got another one that was option, but it was a collaborative project with uh, Richard Brewer and Gary Phillips. Um, but you know how that is. They buy the option and then you get your check and, and you don't know if the movie ever gets made. Right. They and decided they want to give the option. Yeah, uh, which is fine. Chances—it's just crazy. I didn't realize how low the chances are of a movie getting made, even if you have an option. 
even if it goes into development, those chances are still low. It's so yeah. crazy. It's so low. We're in the arts, man. Right? Chances are low of everything. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know what the number is, but I thought it was like 1% publishes a book or less than 1%. And then you figure, you know, out of that options and films, I mean, it's, it's rarefied air, man. It's, it's, you can't ask for more than, you know, working and doing what you love and, and, and getting your vision and, and all that crap, right? Yeah. That's out of your control, man. You got editors and publishers and agents and you got film people and sometimes they sell this, they sell that. And, and there was a time when I would look every morning like, let's see, what is that like now? It's like, oh, if somebody wants to look at it, some director, like, here you go. And then I just fucking forget about it. Yeah. If I get a call someday uh, with good news, but chances are I probably won't. <laughs> I mean, just, just statistically, it's not, it's not, it doesn't, doesn't add up, right? It's like, yeah. uh, everybody can't be a success. You've just, they can't. And then you have to always, it, you know, the fun part of being an artist is you get to grapple with, maybe I'm just not very good, <laughs> which is the thought that hits you at three in the morning when you can't sleep after going for your fifth piss because your prostate's the size of a fucking grapefruit. And you're like, holy shit, man, I'm just not special. Uh, and that's a fun one, right? Because you know, the sun come up. I, I, I go through that a lot as well, where it's just like, I go, I've done everything wrong. That was, it, it's to me like a stupid idea to do this life course. What was I thinking? I could have got a better retirement if I stayed doing, you know, tech or whatever. But then, but then every once in a while, I'll get a little gift of something where um, I'll just, uh, like even today, uh, one of my students at UCLA Extension for the screenwriting course this quarter, we're in week eight. She's like, you know what I got to tell you? I I'm a novice. I never thought in my life I'd ever be a writer or a screenwriter. She's like, you've taught me so much. And I feel like I have so much confidence that she sent me this beautiful note. And I was just like, Oh, thanks. Oh, I'm doing it wrong because she has so much hope, but it's the first <laughs> quarter. So, you know, it, it's hopefully she keeps going and maybe three years from now when she comes out of the bad space and goes, Oh wait, maybe I do have something. It was that cartoon, it was like where the, the teacher's telling the young girl, like, Veronica, you have such writing talent. And this is, and thus Veronica's life was ruined. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. No, but at I mean, the same time, but at the same time, I wouldn't trade it for anything. No, I mean, you know, a couple of things. One is it's not an imposter syndrome if you're really an imposter. And that's, that's the danger, right? Because you really might not be good. Uh, so it, it's a strange thing you have to grapple with and come to terms with it. And that's just what you do when you do this for a living. But yeah, no, I mean, this is the life I chose. It's the life I was willing to die for. I mean, I mean, that literally, I spent, I'd like to believe my 10 years, uh, you know, in the, in the junkyards were, uh, you know, part of my, you know, crusade to find a way to avoid the curse of the dreaded day job, which is really childish. And, uh, and I would have died uh, rather than work a day job, I just couldn't fucking do it. it just it was to me, it was it was tantamount to to suicide by slow increments, and uh, I wasn't gonna fucking go somewhere just to make a you know show for a paycheck so I can fucking eat. I wasn't gonna do it, and uh, and you know it was, it was a source of contention with my my father growing up, and it was sort of certainly a source of contention with the numerous women I dated. Source of contention now. Um, and I understand part of it's impetuous and bratty and, and, you know, that's just how the world works. But no, I mean, I got one life. I've got one life and uh, I'm going to live it and I'm going to do what I want to do with it. And, uh, and I'm an artist and I'm going to make art just because we live in a society and a, in a country and a world that really doesn't, you know, make it easy to, to, to do that. Um, well, that's just the, the cards I've been dealt and I'll figure a way around it somehow because, you know, I live to make art. I play music. I, I 
I draw, I you know, paint, I, and I write. And, uh, and, you know, the money, you know, do what you love and the money will find you. Eh, sort of. You know? Right. You might get hit by a truck, but yeah, I don't find you. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's not, you know, the longest distance between two points as an artist and his fucking money. Um, but yeah, you know, you'll get there eventually, I guess. Well, it's, just, it's like when I read um, George Orwell's Down and Out in uh, Paris and London or Henry Miller stuff where, you know, they, they were just, they were, uh, you know, based on like broke and just trying to make, trying to write, or even Newt Hampson, the, uh, the, uh, one of my favorite books, Hunger where all he's trying to do is just eat and he has half of a pencil as he's trying to write. And, and I read that book, you know, when I was in my twenties and I was like, Oh, that's what I want to do. I forgot the whole starving part. I just, I just remembered how well he's writing. You know, <laughs> it, it, it speaks to the kind of people we are. I mean, Cause that's the same thing. I read, you know, I read Ker Kerouac and I'm like, fuck man, sitting on a train, beans from a can. That's for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, everybody else we went to school and, and you know learn learn skills and learn fucking banking now and, and they don't worry about this shit. But I mean it works out. I just but in the end you get money, you don't get money. It's 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 the art, man. I know it's it's kind of a cliche, but yeah, it's the ride or die thing for me, and and uh, it's it means everything to me. And, and, it, it's it and then that kind of brings because I I feel like I've worked my way in the in the United States. The idea of being a an American in a capitalist society where I've like, I fit in pretty good because I've been able to survive well as an artist because my, my needs are very low. My needs have been very low. So I kept those low so I can do what I could to create. And it kind of worked out. Um, you know, you're looking yeah. at me, you're looking at me like I'm out. No, 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 because it, it was the same thing for, for me and it worked out and, and it reminds me of something Peter Bush once told me, uh, Peter Bush is a, is a judge, and I see him every year at the Book Passage Writers Conference, and he said this, you know, I remember him saying this about how one becomes a judge. He says, you know, there's no direct path to becoming a judge. Like, you just sort of end up being a judge, right? And I really feel like that's how you end up being a writer. Like, there's no, I couldn't tell somebody how to copy the path I took. I mean, yes, school was important, and uh, the hours spent writing were important, but like all the other things that lined up and worked out for me to become a writer, um, you know, that's, that's why I still believe in God because outside of that, I'm really fucking lucky and I can't be that lucky. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it worked out. It worked out. And, um, but, but I think, you know, I think that, you know, it goes back to that rock thing where you just don't stay down. You don't take no and, and, and you're going to get a lot of no. And, uh, and I've got no most of my life making art, you know, people, you, you express yourself and make art and, you know, people don't want to hear it. They don't want to see it. They just, there's so many of us doing it. And that's how you, we, you know, you separate the wheat from the chaff and the ones who are still here at 50 or whatever. Or yes, probably stupid for not giving up, just accepting that they could have, you know, made it a lot easier to just get the day job. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's what we do. It's who we are. And at the end of it all, we'll be a burden to the state three decades from now. Fuck yeah, we will. Yeah, that's right. People are like, People are like trying to, uh, they're like, oh, when I die, I want you to put me like, put me in a tree so I can help the earth grow. And I'm like, no, put me in that nursing home, take the money from the government, keep me alive, even when my brain's not functioning, have a hot nurse, bring me jello because I got no teeth. These are the things I need. I want my wife to stuff me. Uh, and, and she so far, she will not do it. But when I die, I would like to be stuffed and I would like to be set up in the living room. And uh, 
with my, my why don't go bigger why not be why not be in north beach stuff be pretty fucking awesome dude yeah that's good think but about I'm, it and like, like so like so she gets remarried or like but i'm like i'm not going anywhere and i want my fucking will like people get stuffed all the time dude there was that yeah you can stuff people i think so yeah i, like, I want to be stuffed and i want to stay naked i don't want to be clothed I want to wear, depending on the, the, the sports seasons, like if it's baseball season, I want to be clothed in a Yankee jersey, you know, during the World Series, I like my hand up, you know, just little things. Uh, and I really, it's a way for people to, to continue to, to see me, honor me, and uh, my, my, my life. And uh, yeah, I think it would be a lovely, it would really tie the living room together. After, after this, let's discuss, because maybe we'll be stuffed together. And then I could, I could wear the different jerseys. Now why, now, why Yankee? Because you're from New England. Aren't you supposed to be Boston? No, yeah, we, Berlin, Connecticut. Uh, one of its other claims is it's the exact uh, equidistance uh, between Boston and New York. So, uh, a lot of people in my town, you know, there were Yankee fans and Patriot fans, which is what I was. And then you have Red Sox fans and New York Giant fans, and it's a very strange. But yeah, it was half and half. It was, it's right. It's right on the line. If you look at the line, like we're Yankee fans and Red Sox fans, right? It was my town. Uh, you know, like the Civil War, but just with less at stake, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it was it. It was, it was a big deal, man. It was, it was, yeah. yeah. And you don't know how you're going to be born. I mean, I, like, you know, if you're a Red Sox fan, Yankee fan, like it's, I mean, that sets you for a course for life. Like, cause you know, my, my kids are Yankee fans. They don't have a say, like they're Yankee no. fans. No. That's it. So, uh, and you know, we are the winningest franchise in sports. So uh, it's, it's not the worst place to be. And, Really and, and you're still called Yankee Stadium, which I love. I mean, you know, it's, I'm from San Francisco, so it's the Giants for me. But yeah. now it's called Oracle Park. Every goddamn tech company has to bastardize my baseball team over and over and change the name of their stadium. And you still have Yankee Stadium. Well, yeah, you got the Steinbrenners too, and uh, you know they got those <laughs> fucking guys. Uh, you know, and you know certainly politically are you know, where I would be, but, um, no, I, I come on down to the, the Giants certainly during that run, you know, because wherever you go, you, you do get an adoptive team. It's, you know, it's not quite the same as the team you're born with, but that was fun, man, to the, you know, 2010 oh. and 12 and 14, and my friend what? Tom had tickets, and, you know, we were there for the game. We were there when they clinched against the Cardinals, the one with the extra inning home run. Uh, was it 14? I can't remember, but, yeah, it was fucking fantastic. There's nothing like yeah. Indian baseball. Uh, uh, another joy we've been denied by 2020. Not uh, only that, but now they have fake crowd. I can't even watch baseball. Fake crowd noise and cutouts. I, I can listen to it on radio because it, you can't tell. Because, yeah, oh, okay. you, should, you know, and it's not that big deal. Yeah, trying to watch a TV, you're like, oh, it's just so. But this whole fucking years, I'm just a shit show. Just a fucking, what a waste of time. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, yeah, we get 70 years. All right, guys like you and me, 68 years. And, uh, and that's it, right? They just took one, one year. One year of your life. Why like, do you think you only got 68? Well, what's the deal? Is, I, I, I'm going 79, maybe 82. You want a better genetics than I do. Everyone in my family fucking dies in their 50s. My father died at 56. Oh. My mother died at 53. My brother died at 43. Oh, I Jesus was, Christ. Do you go to the doctor regularly? I mean, I'm 49, you know. Dude, Dude you got to get in there, man. That's, that's something I would go every six months. They went in a lot. You know what happens? They tell they're dying. You know, they did nothing. <laughs> You know, they went to the doctor a lot, yeah, and they said they're dying, and that's it. And you know what? You know the cure for dying is nothing. 
curious. So, just fucking like everything just breaks down. So, so, so that we're taping. So this comes out in about three weeks. And I just want to say this is in memory of Joe Clifford. <laughs> well, I go to get my I go get my first colonoscopy because I turned fifty in September. So I get my colonoscopy. You know, I turn that. Yeah. So I they won't give me one because I had to do the little uh, what do you call it? Well, they they. The, the polite term is stool sample. And they said, your stool sample is fine. You don't need one. I'm like, would you get something up there? Because I want to make sure. No. Yeah, no. No, they're doing it. They're doing it for me in September, which is fucking great. Oh, my, yeah. My uh, it, for it. And I usually have to pay extra for that. So this is great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the era of the anal probes. And we invite them. Uh, uh, not like a good anal joke. Yeah. <laughs> and, and with that, Joe Clifford, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> you forgot what? <laughs> nothing. I forget nothing. My mind's a steel trap. Joe Clifford on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, The Lake House. Next week on the show, we have comedian and author Judy Gold. Future episodes include Rose Anderson and Douglas A. Martin. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next Wednesday.